Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 34 of Breaking Bats, presented to you by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady, and with me, my co-host, J.A., Justin Ayers. J.A., we got playoff baseball coming this week. Aaron Judge, 62 homers. Also didn't say this before we started recording, but I got to throw it out there, too. Garrett Cole struck out our buddy, Nate Lowe, for the record, for the Yankees record, too. So, uh, sorry, Nate, but Nate's been absolutely raking all year, so it doesn't really matter. Anyway, a little preview. Jay, what's going on, buddy? Uh, we did it. That's all. I think that's the theme, is that we today we were taping this on the morning of the last regular season game of the 2022 season. Uh, a little plucky podcast that we started back in February. It, is, it has made it to we are in October. The playoffs are here. Uh, and you're right. I, I was trying to block out the Nathaniel Lowe strikeout from my memory, so thank you for rehashing that. Um, it, I just, it's, it's been so much fun doing this every single week, every single Wednesday. And, and now this week, uh, you know, we'll talk about it probably at the end there, the game plan for the playoffs, but a lot of fun stuff coming on the breaking bats podcast, but yes, let's, let's get some October playoff baseball going. Cause there's nothing like it. Yeah. Really excited to see all the good matchups there and just the drama of everything and who, <laughs> who ends up making a run that maybe people don't think is going to make a run and just all that stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. But before we get to all of that, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Psalm sleep. Are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night? Psalm sleep has you covered the scientifically advanced Psalm snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body, like GABA magnesium and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery and it's helped people everywhere. Take their game to the next level. It's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving just 30 minutes before bed and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, but not Psalm Sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day. Go to GetSalm.com, click shop, and enter the code BATS, B-A-T-S, at checkout for 10% off your entire order of Psalm Sleep. So, like I said, we're taping this on Wednesday morning, and on Tuesday night, Aaron Judge, finally, he finally did it. All those college football cut-ins, all those people bemoaning him on Twitter about why haven't you hit it, you've gone like 100 at-bats without a home run, why are we watching you strike out? He got the monkey off his back because he hit number 62 off of uh, the Texas Rangers. He, they had an opener. It was like Jesus Tinoco, I think. Uh, I, I, at first, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of this person before, but they, they had to put an opener in there. Um, so it's it, so he hit 62 at Globe Life Fields, a 1-1 slider. People are saying on Twitter and on Instagram, like, oh, this Tinoco guy hung him a meatball, and that's why I don't think – I think it was just a slider that hung out over the middle of the plate a little too much. Um, and so he launched it into left field. And if you watch the video of it, we tweeted it out on breaking bats pod, but there was a fan who jumped down to that area in between the wall and the stands. I don't think people are allowed down there and the ball didn't go down there. Some guy caught it. Uh, his name is Corey humans. He is a vice president at Fisher investments. He he manages $200 billion. His company manages $200 billion of assets. So Bob Nightingale was like, I don't think he necessarily needs the money. But it was just a hilarious visual watching that poor guy just jump down there. 
Uh, I looked up what happened to that poor guy. Uh, he didn't sustain any injuries, but he was escorted out of the park for trying to jump the fence. So little uh, little PSA, don't don't jump down there to try to get the ball, which didn't even go down there. But he did it, 62. Uh, Brian, I mean, that's that. it's the AL home run record, but how much should we care about it? First of all, the guy jumping down there, I applaud the effort because the ball's worth a lot of money. So maybe not the brightest, but could have really paid off if it, if it worked out. Now he just looks like an idiot. But for Judge, uh, amazing. What a what an awesome season. I'm, feel, I'm sure that feels really good for him to finally finally get it done. Can't imagine the, the pressure that was probably, you know, the Yankees have already clinched and all that stuff. So really, he just knew everyone was watching him and, to getting the cut-ins to college football and all that stuff to try to watch him hit that last homer. But AL record, should we care? Yes, we should care. It's not the it's not the MLB record. I don't care what people say about Barry Bonds. That is the record, and McGuire Sosa have also hit more too. But it is the AL. It's the most in the, in the AL. Passed a, a Yankee legend, obviously, Roger Maris. Hasn't been done in however long. And it's it's just the cap of a really fantastic season. And and in my opinion, uh, he's the MVP. I know Otani is amazing and doing things that we've also really never seen. But Judge has just been phenomenal. Uh, I think he's going to fall just short of that triple crown. But, man uh, – an unbelievable year his team won the won their division and without him i don't think they would have been nearly at that at that spot and we talked about here before about his war which was around 10 at the time i don't know what it is now which is just a joke too so uh yeah happy to see him do it by all counts a, a great guy and just an amazing feat for for uh to do that man 62 homers in, in the major leagues is it's a lot of home runs that's a lot of fun right there he has a 10.7 war the next closest is arenado at 7.9 so it's it's not it's not Unreal. even close um yeah there's I, I i you know we're happy for him i'm just happy that he got it so i could stop like having people like talk about it i'm tired of it I'm tired of watching it on TV. They would cut in on every single every single sporting event. It's become a meme now. Take a video of a very important sporting event and then insert a video of Aaron Judge striking out looking. That's that's been a very common, very funny meme on Twitter this week. Um, but I, I I'm just I'm I'm over it. It's cool the AL record, but like you know I love the people tweeting out. He has the seventh most home runs in a single season behind Bonds. McGuire did it had more twice. Sammy Sosa had over sixty three times. Like. I mean, it's cool that in the context of today where we're talking about the, like the, the contact rate, the batting average is down, the strikeouts are up, you know, and it's not like he wasn't getting pitches to hit. I think he was only intentionally walked like 18 times or something this year. And, and Barry Bonds was intentionally walked over a hundred times a year. So Ridiculous. he was the people, like the Yankees fans are like, what, why can't you just get him? Why can't somebody just groove one to him? That was, I'm just, I'm done. I think we can finally put a nail in this coffin. He did it. 
that he did it on the next to last game of the season. So that part is also kind of funny too, because I would have liked to have seen that come down to the wire. Maybe like the last at bat in the ninth inning, maybe play up the dramatics, but he did it and it's done. And now we can just focus on where Andrew just got to sign in the off season. Which could be a huge story. I'll just leave that for another time. I was trying to figure out how the Braves could get him last night. My... <laughs> <laughs> well, They've saved some cash on their other guys, so yeah. they might be able to, man. They're underpaying everybody else. Why don't they just why don't they just give him forty and make it, you know, make the make it a super team? Um that kind of actually kind of segues pretty well into our next topic is that we're gonna do a little bit of a playoff preview today. Uh we, we're not, we're gonna do a, a rundown of the bracket on a later episode this week. So stay tuned for our official predictions. But in terms of big storylines, did the Mets collapse or are the Braves just that good? Because on June 1st, the New York Mets had a 10.5 game lead over the Braves for first place in the NL East. And I'm looking at our standings today on Wednesday morning. And the Braves have clinched the division. And the Mets are in the, are in the wild card. They're the number one wild card. Um, it, it all happened with the, the Braves swept the Mets over the weekend in Atlanta. And so when, when you look at this division race, which in the middle of the summer we didn't think would even be a topic of conversation, what, what do you think? Did, did the Braves just, are they just like a juggernaut team or are the Mets, is that, is that troubling? I think it was a combination, a little bit of the two. The Mets obviously collapsed. I won't say collapsed. They just, they didn't perform to the level that they were earlier, earlier in the year. Uh, Scherzer, a few injuries. DeGrom obviously was hurt for some of the season. You know, it's, it's a long year. There's a lot, a lot going on. And they couldn't keep up that pace, but the Braves, man, have really turned it around. They're playing their best baseball going into the most important time of the season. So they're a scary team. Obviously, won it last year, so they have guys who've been there and done that. Now they have some young guys who were playing really well. I mean, Harris, uh, Strider's pitched really well. I know he's – I think he tweaked his oblique a little bit ago, but I think they're expecting him back for the playoffs. Uh, Grissom's been, been, been good. They just, the Braves can play man and they have that experience. So I'm going to credit more to the Braves for turning it around and, and getting this hot. But that was, I feel like it was just, there wasn't that much separating the two teams, even in the beginning, the Mets just played really well and the Braves were not playing so well, but I'd love to see those two meet in the playoffs. And still, the one thing, and I just talked about how good the Braves are, and, and they, they do have some some solid pitching. But when you get into the series and you got DeGrom and Scherzer, I still just am probably going to take those two over basically anybody. That's I know I know the Braves just beat them both in Atlanta this past weekend or whatever it was. But every time those guys go out there, you know there's a good chance that they're just going to shut down the other team and all you got to do is score a run or two. So I still think the Mets are really scary. Well, I I agree. The Mets are scary, but, I mean, the Braves just took it to them this past weekend, and I think it's all about who's riding that that wave, who's who's the hotter team going into the playoffs. And I think that's that's the Braves. I looked it up. Spencer Strider, he's – he hasn't thrown since he tweaked his oblique, 
and he, he'd probably need multiple bullpens before he could pitch in the wild card series. So that doesn't look likely he's going to pitch in this three game set that they have uh, coming up with the actually no because they're not even in the wild card. So I don't even know why I said that. Uh, he'll probably be back for the divisional round is what I'm thinking. Um, I looked on Twitter and since the Mets had a, a ten and a half game lead, they had about a ninety five win pace ever since then. Um, and then the Braves had a hundred fourteen win pace in that same time frame. So the Braves were just like way hotter of a team. So, uh, but you know, Mets fans aren't the most rational bunch. I, I love following Frank the Tank on Twitter. You know, hashtag Frank was right. Frank Frank called it because he said that the Mets would epically collapse, and they did. So, um, but. You know, I, I think that the Braves are just the, the better team, they're the hotter team. And now that now the, the New York Mets have a date in the playoffs, but not not in that second round. They don't have that first round bye. They gotta go up against the Padres. So that'll be an interesting lots of pitching in that one. That'll be fun to watch. Those pitching matchups were were pretty serious. I know it's uh I can't remember from the Mets side if it was DeGrom Scherzer or Scherzer DeGrom, but let's just for arguments say it was it's it's Scherzer first, it was Darvish for the Padres, and then game two is uh, Snell, who's been throwing really well. So you you get Scherzer, Scherzer, Darvish, and DeGrom, Snell, and then Musgrove's game three for the Padres. And I, I can't remember who was game uh, – Bassett, I believe, Bassett, was probably. game three for for the Mets. So, yeah, that's a, those are some good pitching matchups right there. Those places are – I mean, that's going to be – that's going to be – an awesome series. Definitely pumped to watch that. I can't wait. Uh, so next up, we have the Philadelphia Phillies. They have made it to the playoffs for the first time since 2011. That was the year they went 102 and 60. And ever since then, it's it hasn't been great in the city of brotherly love. Uh, so Aaron Nola, he threw six and two thirds of perfect innings before allowing his first hit. Schwarber had two two home runs that game that they clinched. I mean, the, the Phillies, they've just, under Rob Thompson, it's like a completely different team. Under Rob Thompson, they went 65 and 44. Girardi went 22 and 29. What do you think changed? What do you think was the thing that clicked once Girardi was out and Rob Thompson was in that made the play, the Phillies go from under 500 to, you know, securing a playoff berth? I said this before. Uh, I don't necessarily think that managers have that gigantic of an impact on a team, but clearly something that Rob Thompson has done has resonated with those guys and, and has helped them turn around and be a better team. Um, Brandon Marsh has came over from the angels has been a, has been very good for them as well. And other, you know, other <clears throat> guys have definitely stepped up and they got Harper back. Th- they're a good team, man. They have a, they have some really good hitters in that lineup and they, they got some solid pitching to go with it. Thompson seems like he's more laid back or not, or even keel is maybe a better, better word there. You know, not too high, not too low, just kind of every day shows up and does it and seems like he, he has those guys back. So it's, it's definitely interesting. Girardi's had success before. So it's not like they went from some unknown manager to Rob Thompson, which is actually pretty funny too. Cause at the time I feel like he was pretty unknown and now, here we are, but happy for them. Happy for friend of the pod, Morgan Gregory, their strength coach, getting to celebrate that and, you know, getting to the playoffs. They could get hot and they could be scary. And Rob Thompson has definitely brought out the best in that team. 
Absolutely. I think I'm trying to think back. I think it was maybe Greg Amsinger who I talked to a little bit about like the situation. This was before Girardi got fired. And he was saying that Drew had it a little bit different in New York where he had that, that locker room of, of established veterans to kind of set the tone where it was like he had the Jeters, the Pettits, the Marianos to kind of police everything. And then he got, he got to Philadelphia and he was just kind of like, you know, apathetic, didn't really, you know, he was hard, he was harder than he needed to be in spots that he didn't have to be. And there, I read a, a piece on Fox sports. That I wanted to read just a portion of, um, it said where Girardi was rigid, Thompson was relaxed, stoic, and completely undeterred by bad bounces and rough patches. Rarely do Thompson's facial expressions ever change. His post-game speech during the Philly celebration on Monday was comically monotone. As a lifelong coach never really expected to manage, Thompson moved like he was playing with house money. Reese Hoskins referred to as fuck it mentality. I would buy that. I mean, that's if I had a manager like that who who brought the best out of me every single day but didn't feel like he was overbearing, um, I don't know. I, I feel like that probably has something to do with with their success. Absolutely. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's the best thing you could ask for, right? Is like somebody who's confident in you. And when something goes wrong, it's kind of like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. Just keep going because that lets you play free. And there's nothing really worse you can do in baseball is than to like play scared or play afraid to make a mistake because things are happening too fast. It's just, it's not a good combo. It's, you're playing you play scared you play play to not make mistakes you're more prone to making mistakes so that that quote seems like it's uh a good snapshot of why why rob thompson is, is helping them have so much success it'll be a fun first round series they have matched up with the st louis cardinals in that three game set all in st louis um so next up for you guys, uh, Tyler Glass now. We're going to sw- switch over to the Tampa Bay Rays. He's just been dominant, and people are calling him playoff ready for good reason. On Monday night against the Red Sox, his second start back from surgery, he struck out seven, walked one, and allowed a pair of singles over three and two-thirds, which that would be a great outing if it was through like seven innings, but he did it through three and two-thirds. Uh, Kevin Cash said that Glass now is, is probably going to be their game two starter whenever the wild card series uh, you know, gets going, according to him. I mean, Shane McClanahan and Tyler Glass now is a one-two punch. I know the Rays have been scuffling here as of late, but how do you feel about Tampa going into their series, um, you know, matched up with the Cleveland Guardians? What a, I think that's a great low-key series, right? Those two teams right there are, I feel like, pretty similar in how they go about their business and maybe they don't have as many household names as some other teams, but – McClanahan, first of all, getting back to Glass now. Glass is a freak. Awesome pitcher. So good to see him back out there. He's already shown he can shut teams down. So, you get him and and Shane going, man, that is a very formidable one-two punch right there. And the way they shorten games and get to that pen, and I'm sure they're going to use other guys, and they're obviously known for mixing and matching with their pitchers and, um, you know, shout out Pete Fairbanks come, come back on, but they're going to, they got all those arms in the pen, man. They're, they're, it's a scary team. If they score a few runs, I don't know, man, the guardians are good, but I think I like, uh, I think I like the raise there. And when they're playing their best, they, they can for sure beat anybody. Without a doubt. 
you know, I, the thing I'm a little bit worried about is that the, the Rays are losers of four straight, two straight to uh, to Boston and two, two to the Astros. So, you know, the vibes probably aren't great right now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think th- I like the Rays in this series. I don't want to give too much away for our playoff predictions, but uh, yeah, I like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just all these times talking to Pete Fairbanks has converted me to, to a Rays believer. I don't know. Uh, man, they're, I know, you don't like them seeing, you don't like to see them losing games leading into it, but once the playoffs start, man, it doesn't matter. And when you got arms like that, and I know Cleveland's got Bieber, I did the, I don't know, the Rays, they, I just feel like they just figure it out and get it done. You know, they, if they, they end up playing Houston, I think that's a tough series. And like I said, I want to give away thanks for the, the, the playoff stuff. But, you know, if they win this series and they end up facing like the Yankees at some point, I like, the, <laughs> I like the race. The race kind of have the Yankees number. So the, it, mm-hmm. the Astros scare me. But other than that, if I'm the Rays, I feel like I I like our chances. I'm ride or die with you we'll guys see. on that side of the bracket. I like the Mariners a lot, but we'll, we'll talk about it later at a later date. Um, so that's kind of like our storyline. Not too much on the preview prediction side. We're going to save that for an episode coming out probably on Friday this week, so stay tuned for that. Um, but we wanted to get some of the big storylines out of the way. Uh, next up for you guys, we have our fudging awesome moment of the week. Our fudging awesome moment of the week is brought to you by our sponsor, the Original Fudge Kitchen. They're shipping fudge and sweet treats all over the country. You can find them at Original Fudge Kitchens with an S.com. It is so good. I cannot wait to get back to America. Still here in Japan, playoffs here too. And order me and my wife some fudge. Uh, for our Philly and Jersey Shore listeners, it's probably the last weekend of the year. You're going to be down there at the old Jersey Shore. But if you are, they have locations in Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, Ocean City, and Cape May. So go in there and check them out. Stuff is amazing. And if you're listening from anywhere else in the country, they ship all over the country. And you can find them at Original Fudge Kitchens with an S.com. All right. So our fudging awesome moment of the week this week, it comes to us from Japan. On Monday, Munitaka Murakami, a 22-year-old third baseman who plays for the Tokyo Yakut Swallows, he hit his 56th home run of the year. Why that's significant? Because he broke Satohuro O's record of 55 home runs set way back in 1964. This gives Murakami the most home runs in a season by a Japanese-born player in the NPB. And I say Japanese-born player because there's a couple guys from Curacao, from the United States, uh, Tuffy Rhodes. I think, I think he was the one who had three home runs for the Cubs on opening day, I think, back in the 90s. Um, Alex Cabrera and Vladimir Ballantine. I think that was in 2013. He had 60, uh, obviously from Curacao. But uh, being over there in Japan, like, how cool is that to see? And then, like, what what's your have you played like the Swallows? And have you seen this guy Murakami? Is he the real deal? Yeah. So they're in the other division, and in Japan, we only play instead of like interleague in the MLB. We only do interleague here for two weeks out of the whole season. So we played them in interleague. I believe he hit one homer against us. I believe <laughs> one could have been two, but I think it was just one. Uh, but we played them my first uh, spring training games here. We played against them and I had no idea who he was. They actually won the championship last year too. And he had a very good season 
as well. And he's young. He's only like 22 or 23 maybe. But big dude, really good swing. And I remember him hitting in spring training and, again, not knowing anything. You know, like, I, this dude can swing. Like, I like this guy. And here he is. Uh, kind of similar to Judge. He hit 55 and tied it, and then he went like 70 at-bats without without hitting a homer. So he hit it on the last – I believe the last game of the season. So it was kind of a similar situation there. But he uh, – he he's – he can swing it. I really like him. I know he, he said that he has aspirations to play in the MLB. So I guess we will see about that. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I hope that happens because I'm interested to see how the, the Japanese hitters work out in the MLB because there's not as many that translate as well over there because it's just such a different style. But in terms of raw power and ability, he's the real deal. So I looked it up. In 1994, Tuffy Rhodes had three home runs for the Cubs on opening day, but in his major league career, he hit 13 total. So that's how that's I that's how I knew Tuffy Rhodes. That's a fun little stat you break out of, at a bar. Um, that's cool though. I mean, that's that's cool. That this guy has aspirations to come over to the majors because 22 years old, hitting 56 home runs, that would be really cool to see him come over to America and, and try his hand um, playing MLB baseball. I know there's a lot of teams that would probably love some some power from that side of the infield, um, and that's so funny. It's like yeah. The one time I saw him, he hit a homer. It's like, I think that's, it might just be this guy's MO. That's kind of badass. Dude, I, there was a point in the season where it was just kind of a joke of his, I believe, I believe he went five, not same game, but I believe he went five straight at bats with a homer, three and one and two in the next. Um, Like there, it was, there was stretches there where it was, he just swung a bat and it was a home run. And this isn't <laughs> like he hits left-handed, but he, he hits these homers. And I mean, fucking no doubters to all all fields all over like oppo dead center pull he he's he does it everywhere so uh also triple i believe he won the triple crown here i'm pretty sure he did almost positive he was like way ahead rbis and homers he was way ahead in the batting average too but then like i said he kind of struggled the last however many games it was of the season so it, it ended up being like oh shit is he actually gonna win but i'm pretty sure he still won the batting average too so, yeah, man, we'll we'll see. But definitely a good player and an unbelievable season over here. That's awesome. Shout out. Munitaka Murakami. Um, so next up for you guys, we have our top five for this week to clean up last week's top five, the top five best under-the-radar seasons in 2022. Uh, Brian won again. We don't really need to talk much more about that. Um, so, yeah, whatever. I'm not – it's not that big of a deal. You, you can tell. I'm not worried. This is, this is my not worried face. Um, a little bit of a losing streak, but for this week, in honor of this new wild card, pl- like you know, playoff format, the best of three, all at the the higher seed stadium, we're gonna be taking a look at the top five wild card games of all time. Uh, so I will start us off at number five. It's t- last year. It's 2021 Dodgers over Cardinals two to one. This was the season last year where the Dodgers won 106 games and still had to play in the wild card round, which will never not be hilarious to me. Uh, then, you know, game tied one, one in the ninth, Chris Taylor hit a two run walk-off home run to send the Dodgers to the next round. Anytime playoff dramatics happen like that. I think it's worthy of this. Uh, number four, 2012 Orioles over Rangers five to one. This was the Orioles first playoff appearance since 1997. I was one year old. So I of course do not remember that. This was a big deal for, for Orioles country. 
Uh, the Rangers. This was Hugh Darvish's rookie year. He was a phenom. He was lighting the world on fire. And then who did the Orioles start but plucky Joe Saunders, a soft-tossing, junk-balling lefty uh, who they picked up at the trade deadline. And then he held the Rangers lineup who had like Josh Hamilton and all these guys who hit home runs. He held them to one run through five and two-thirds and helped the Orioles get the victory. So uh, that was that was obviously very special in my life. Uh, number three, 2014, Kansas City Royals beat the LA Angels 9-8. to 12 innings, five lead changes, 17 runs scored. The last time we saw Mike Trout in the playoffs, fun fact, uh, Sal Perez walk off in the 12th inning. Very dramatic. I loved it. And again, Mike Trout, like that's that's the only time he's so ever only played in October. So, um, so yes. Uh, number two, 2013 Pirates over the Reds. Sorry, Brian. Six to two. The Pirates hadn't made the playoffs in an even longer amount of time since 1992. Uh, in the bottom of the second, if you if you remember, at the crowd at PNC started chanting Cueto, Cueto, and then Johnny Cueto dropped the ball, and then on the very next pitch, Russell Martin hit a home run. That's, that's <laughs> one of my all time favorite. The blackout crowd at PNC Park, the flags were waving, the Jolly Rogers were raised. So that is my number two pick, and my number one pick. I would be. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a Nationals fan if I didn't put this at number one. It's 2019. It's the Nationals over the Brewers, four to three. Juan Soto's bases clearing single in the bottom of the eighth off of Josh Hader, sorry Padres fans, to give the Nationals a 4-3 to lead. It was the greatest. The Nationals, like, they win by that final score of 4-3. to It was electric. I mean, they used Scherzer and Strasburg. Strasburg, I think, came out of the bullpen. So it, w- it was an all-timer. That, those, are my, those are my top five wild card games of all time. Sorry, Hader, and sorry, Grish. Sorry, Padres fans. Tough one. But um, <laughs> those are some good ones. Grish bounced back. He's all right. Yeah, he's But – uh, yeah, those are those are some good ones. The Quato one's hilarious. I forgot about that. Love that. Uh, my top five. Number five is 2015 Cubs and Pirates. Arietta won a complete game shutout. The Cubs won four nothing, and he beat none other than Garrett Cole, which is hysterical to look back at that and <laughs> think that he was on the mound for the Pirates back then. But uh, so that's number five. Number four is going to be 2016. This one was great. Giants Mets. Giants win three nothing. This is when Madison Bumgarner was just dicing people for every inning of every game in the postseason. It was insanity. Uh, but this is when Connor Gillespie in the top of the ninth hit the three-run homer that <clears throat> gave the Giants the win, which was wild. Number three is going to be 20, 2019. Yes, 2019 Rays at Oakland. And I, I don't – this popped in my head immediately. It was a sellout crowd in Oakland, which is hysterical to think about right now. 54,000 people. And Yandy Diaz was hurt for the last while of the season. This was his first game back. And he led off the game with an absolute no-doubt oppo shot to give them one nothing lead. And he actually homered later in the game too. Uh, and they won. And the quote about, about – Yandy's quote about the uh, sellout is phenomenal. They asked him before the game if he was concerned about the the crowd, and he said, really? There was people with guns when I played in Cuba, was his response to that question. So Yandy did not care and hit two homers. So that that was number three. Uh, Number two, another one I love, Blue Jays. Sorry, 2016 Blue Jays take down your Orioles. Edwin Encarnacion with the old three-run walk-offer in the uh, 
eleventh inning in was it wait was that a walk off or was that just yep. it was a walk off. I think he just put up a an Instagram of it too. Actually, today I think I'm pretty sure I just saw that. Uh, but knocked the Orioles out. That was electric. The dude, it's I believe it's the Rogers Center still. Their home stadium, dude. When it's packed and loud, the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, like the Jose Batista homer. That shit is electric in there. It is loud. So that that's number two. And then number one is gonna be <clears throat> the uh, 2014 the Royals and the A's. The A's were uh, had a 7-3 lead in the eighth, but the Royals scored three runs and then another one in the ninth to send the uh, game to extras. And then Oakland took it, took the lead in the <clears throat> in the twelfth, but the Royals came back and scored two to win it. So, and that was the year that they ended up winning the World Series. So, shout out to Haas and all those guys. A lot of back and forth there. I still think <laughs> I still that game's crazy. I still. Vividly remember the Edwin Encarnacion one and the Yandy Diaz one, and I can't get over that quote. I think that's just insanity, and I can't stop thinking about that now. <laughs> I try to block out the, the 2016 wild card game because if you remember, that was the game that Buck Showalter left his All Star closer Zach Britton in the bullpen. Oh yeah, and they put it was Ubaldo Jimenez, the starting Jimenez. pitcher, who. They were trying everything they could to not use him as a pitcher throughout the entire season. And then when the game mattered the most in extra innings, you're like, yeah, you know what? Let's leave Britain in in case we, you know, in case we get a save situation. It's like, fuck the, we need to, we need to play oh for the win. God. We can't just be playing, like, can't be playing scared with our tail between our legs. Oh, we, we need to use him for a save situation. Like Dylan Bundy was still in the bullpen. You could have used him. I don't know why the, I don't know why Jimenez was the first one they thought of, but yeah, that was. That was pain, and that was the last time the Orioles uh, were ever good. I mean, they were good this year, but the last time they made the playoffs. But yeah, that was um, that was pain. That's just I all forgot I about think. that. That's all I could. Think yeah, of totally forgot about that part. Good call. Hilarious. So, well, I missed the one game wild card. That was electric. I don't care what people dude, say. They were. Oh, they one were. game shouldn't decide. Whatever. Well, just don't be in the wild card game then, because I think it was hilarious. It's intense, dude. It's doesn't get any more intense than that because fucking anything can happen. Exactly. Anything can happen. The Nationals probably wouldn't have won the World Series if they would have had to play a three-game series with the Brewers. It's it's nuts. It's nuts. There's no one game of baseball. There's absolutely no rhyme or reason that, you know, you take the the Nationals this year could beat the Astros mm-hmm. in that game. You don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen in one game. Any seven game games? Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, seven games you probably – the better team is probably going to figure out one game. Who knows? Weird shit happens. And that's why, <laughs> that's why it's the best. And that's why I wish, I hope it comes back. <laughs> Three game series. That's I don't it. like the fact that it's all at the, the higher seed stadium. That bothers me. Like, why can't it alternate? Yeah. I, it's probably because the travel, they want to knock it out in those few days, but I, I agree. That's, but I guess that's also the advantage of winning or finishing higher. The division. So I get both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. But, it would be cool to see that, like, Mets and Padres for San Diego to get that that playoff game for sure. Yeah, it's just it's it's stupid. So anyway, th- that series starts on Friday night. Uh, that is the start of the MLB Wild Card round. Um, a couple last last things for everybody. Um, 
we wanted to give a shout out to friend of the podcast actions over words they're an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words it is founded in cape may new jersey by alec levin who is a fantastic person actions over words donates five dollars of every sale to charities around the world so check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com use the code n4l for 10 percent off of your order tees hats hoodies and a lot more so check out our friends at actions over words and last, before we set up our interview for this week, it is football season, and the Not For Long Media podcast family has a ton of great content for you guys to check out. On the Colin Thompson Show this week, their guest was Carolina Panthers defensive tackle Matt Ioannidis. It was a great interview. I was a part of it back during Carolina Panthers training camp over the summer. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Not For Long Media family, Two Girls, One League, and then Ah Geez with Harry Mays, Jason Martinez, two great Philly dudes. Um, so check out our our you know our sister podcasts on, on our Not For Long Media podcast network family. Uh, interview for this week, first recurring guest. So I, we, we talked about that. He needs to put it on his headstone. Pete Fairbanks, our old our old buddy. Uh, I, it is just a delight. That's the only that's the only, that's the word I can use to best describe whenever we have Pete Fairbanks on the podcast. Love having Pete on. Absolute clown. Unbelievable pitcher. Have a great season. Good to see him healthy and. Truly dominating, so that's awesome, and leading in the playoffs. But just a funny guy eating his waffle to start. And man, those I'm just I'm excited to see him and, and the intensity in those big situations in the in these these playoffs. Oh man, can you, can you imagine him closing out like a like a series? Like if the if the Rays win the wild card round and it's like Pete on the mound and he strikes out somebody to end it. Dude, I've seen it. It was uh, oh, it was twenty twenty. I about blacked out from yelling. Like I was yelling and I was like starting to go down. I was like, Oh my God, I gotta stop. <laughs> and Pete was doing down. like this. Dude, I really was. I was like, Oh shit. And uh, Pete, that was when we beat the Yankees and, and Pete was doing the same thing. And yeah, dude, it's just, there's nothing. Pete, Pete is electric all the time. So, you know, put it in the playoffs and multiply it by a hundred and it's going to be, it's going to be the best, but yeah, some, some good insight in there and some funny stuff and just love having Pete on. And I'm sure he's going to be back on again one day, but yes, he is our officially the first recurring and the only recurring guest at this point in time. So congratulations, Pete. I know he is very honored about that. How funny was it real quick in 2020 when he was doing the, the clinching thing that you were just talking about, where everybody was screaming, how funny was it that there's no uh, fans in the stands and it was dead silent when all that was happening. Yeah, I guess at that point, I wasn't, like, thinking about it anymore, you know? It's just the buildup of everything, dude, was just nuts. And it was – because it was the Yankees, too, it was even, like, more. And even though we played the Astros afterwards, it just kind of felt – and they were – they almost blew it. But they uh, – it felt like the Yankees were really the hump there. So – and that's no, that's not discrediting discrediting the Astros at all. But I don't know the Yankees. We had some battles with the Yankees that year. At that moment, it was like the crowds. I, I guess we were as weird as it sounds, kind of used to it at that point that nobody was around, which is sad. It's weird to look back on now, but it was a weird time in the world, and still counts. Still got to yeah. see it all. But yeah, man, it was. Uh, not as bad as when, you know, everybody could hear Pete and Buffalo yelling, but uh, <laughs> along those lines. That's hilarious. Yeah, I need to go back and rewatch that. I completely forgot about that. He was on the mound for the clincher in 2020. Uh, but, yeah, just a great dude. Fantastic conversation, as always. 
Uh, really insightful stuff from the man who said he wanted to design fighter jets at some point in his life. So, um, yeah, it's just you never know what you're going to get with Pete Fairbanks, and that's the best part of it. Yeah, so let's uh, let's send it over to our interview with Ray's pitcher, Pete Fairbanks. And joining us for the second time today on Breaking Bats, our first official recurring guest, Tampa Bay Rays. I'll just say relief pitcher because I don't know if they give that fucking term out, but <laughs> disgusting relief pitcher, Pete Fairbanks, finishing his waffle at breakfast, good enough to join us. Peter, yes. good to see you again, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. My waffle was a little cold. I was probably cold. I was trying to take a quick shower before this, and I ended up timing it to where I was about to step in the shower at the uh, lovely room service lady starts knocking on my door so i had to uh run find some sweats and a, a shirt get the waffle and then have it sit outside my hotel bathroom for you know six minutes as i took a shower to prepare myself to become your first recurring guest yes we are very happy that you're back as our recurring guest i know you are thrilled to be you hold the title of recurring guest right now. You truly are the only recurring guest at this point. So, I mean, I could be, I just um, couldn't be become a recurring guest. Well, it's good to have you back. More than that, before we let uh, JA catch up on uh, the last time we talked, we were just kind of talking so much we didn't get to some of the things that we wanted that we wanted to talk about which is fine but uh before we let him get to that you're back you're healthy and you're throwing very well so how's that feel and you guys are right in the thick of things so how's it must be nice to to be back and all that happening yeah you know it's uh anytime i'm just taking up space I'm sure that they they were all thrilled to get me out of the dugout and into the bullpen. Um, but no, you know, it, it's uh, going through this run is it's good. You know, any, anytime you're a part of a, a playoff, you know, potential playoff team in a, in a, you know, a situation where you're going out in every game, you know, holds some sort of value in, in the last month of the season is, uh, is a spot that it, it's always fortunate to be in. Um, and I've, you know, as I'll tell anybody, I've been very fortunate over these first years of my career that I have been in this this situation now for, you know, the fourth straight year. And it's um, it's something that not everybody gets to experience. And it is, you know, it's it's special to, uh, to be able to compare, you know, kind of the teams that we've had and what we've, you know, what we've gone through in, in kind of a pennant chase and a wild card run, you know, in the past. And then compare that, you know, to this year's team. Yeah, I mean, you the 2020 run, you you got some big outs during that stretch there. So you're definitely no stranger to uh, to any of this or the, the pressure of those situations. Any no, no. Intensity, I know that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, to get where we want to go, um, you, you kind of got to accept that, you know, to get where you want to go, you have to go get those outs, you know, and there's – eight of us down there as a whole that we if we want to go you know and take it as as far as we can we know that that 
we're going to have to go out there and get big outs, you know, as a, as a whole, you know, not just one or two guys, but just the way that we've been deployed and the way that we'll be used that we have to go get outs, you know, and we've got seven games left right now. And that, you know, factoring in Kevin's usage of the phone, you know, that gives us from, from 12 to 15 outs a night for, you know, the rest of the season to go out there and, you know, try and take us wherever we want to be. We'll, we'll get more into that in a little bit, but go ahead, Jay. Let's let's catch up with the, the things that we missed the last time first. Yeah, I, I had a, a bunch of really cool, like, background stuff on you that I get, didn't get a chance to talk to you about last time. Um, to pitch at Missouri, the, the same place that your father did, how special is that for you? Oh, it was uh, – I loved my time at Mizzou, and it was, you know, it, it, there was never going to be anywhere else for me but um, to be a Tiger out there in Columbia. And that, uh, you know, was something that I, you know, leading up to it in high school, that was, you know, where I wanted to go play mainly because of that. Um, you know, there's other family ties there and et cetera, but, but I wanted to go to Mizzou because that was, you know, where my dad played and, and where my grandfather played football, my uncles played football. Um, so, yeah, it, it still holds a, a special place in my heart. Shout out to Steve Deezer. I very much appreciate it. Uh, they sent me a jersey since I did not have a senior night over this uh, over this season, and I'm very appreciative of it. Uh, I'm going to try and get back to Columbia again. Um, you know, they had me back over the offseason to talk to the team. Um, and, yeah, it, it's uh, Columbia is, is a very special place, and I am a just a – Unfortunately, you know, on the football side of things, sometimes if you look at what happened last week in the just the battle of the shit between them and Auburn, but I am a Missouri Tiger and I've been a Missouri Tiger for my entire life and I will continue to be a Missouri Tiger for the rest of it. Love that. Uh, I was reading that your coach at the time, he, he talked about how you were a little bit hard on yourself at times. How are you able to kind of like outgrow that and kind of trust in yourself more? Oh, I'm definitely having outgrown that. Let's not. Not put the horse before the cart there. I am in the slightest, but I think that, you know, um, just kind of the relationships I built here with Snides and, and kind of some trust from, from the staff and those spots where you have to go record big outs has given me, you know, kind of the, the feeling, of, you know, you go out there and you, you put it on the line and, win or lose, if you go out there and, and put it on the line and attack and do, you know, in your eyes, everything that you can do process-wise to put yourself in a spot to succeed, then that is really what you have to take home with you. Um, obviously, you know, if you don't do that and the results are bad, that's where you really have that avenue, um, you know, of frustration with yourself. But if you're, you know, ahead of the count, if you're attacking, et cetera, and things don't go your way, you kind of got to hang your hat you know go put that jersey in the in the laundry bin come back the next day put it back on go back out there and, and try and do it all over again that's fascinating i've always heard of like you know pitchers have to have that short memory is that did that take a while for for you to develop that kind of that muscle where it's like hey even if i you know get get hit around one time you know you just keep keep moving on keep going on to the next one yeah and it's still something I think everybody deals with. You kind of get those those wheels that can spin a little bit. Um, but, you know, as in the bullpen, it, it kind of took me until I, you know, have spent a lot of time where it's, hey, you're there basically every night unless we tell you you're down that day. 
you know, and you got to be prepared for that. And part of that preparation is not just making feel, making sure that your body feels good, but it makes, makes sure that you are in tune with what you do, you know, on the mound and how you get hitters out and attack the strike zone, you know, how you get your outs, how you're effective. And, and, you know, even if things go bad, sometimes you have to stay, as long as you're not losing sight of, you know, who you are and how you get your outs, um, it, it is something that you can kind of always fall back on and, and have in your corner. I like that, Brian. Can, is there, is there such a thing like that for hitters for short memory? Obviously. Cause you know, if you strike out one at bat, you have to go out there and try to hit the next time. Yeah. It's probably the hardest part of hitting because you got to do it constantly. And if you just dwell on. Yeah. At a fourth game, we got it once yeah. a day. Yeah. It, if Pete blows me away one time, you know, I can't, can't be worrying about that, that at bat in the ninth inning, you know, it doesn't, doesn't affect the next one. And that's, it's way easier said than done. So, uh, always, it took I think a long time to figure that out. And it's, it's just human. It's, it's part of, you know, having the, the conscious that we have where it's always something that is there. Um, we kind of talk about, well, you know, Stan Broski, our bullpen coach, who's retiring, shout out Stan. Stan is, you know, Stan. Stan's the best. There's not one person that's ever met Stan Broski and been like, I don't like this guy. No, everybody fucking loves Stan. Um, but he always talks about, we talk about our, our OO, you know, OO results and all the pitches you throw in the strike zone, hitters are hitting like 050-something, you know, of all results of all first pitches. And you know, when you get victimized and you give up that home run that first pitch and, you know, that that is the very small minority of it, right? And you have to it, – it's very tough to take that 95% versus that 5% where you gave up a linea in the left center gap. It's funny you brought up first pitch because I actually wanted to ask you about this. Like, the first pitch swing rate in baseball is – like, it's been going up every single year. Like – What's your approach in those situations? Like, what, what, as a pitcher, when you're going up there, what, what's, what's your first pitch? Like, what are you looking to do to try to avoid getting, giving up like a first pitch homer? Oh, I'm saying try and hit this. Try and hit it. That's, you want to swing at the first pitch and you want to, you know, you got a ninth inning, you're down three, you want to swing at the first pitch and hit an eight mile, eight mile high pop up to second base. Be my guest. You have to go live with that till your next at bat. I don't, right? I'm throwing a first pitch next batter we're going to attack the strike zone because until and this is another Stan Barosti point because I love Stan Stan has been one of the two people over the past few years that has had a profound effect on me him and Kyle Snyder until we find a better way to do it than throwing the ball over the plate that's what we're going to do do you change it up a little bit yeah I mean I, I think there's times where if you see a guy multiple times in a row you might um you know Switch up. I saw my third this is my third time I've seen Jose Ramirez this season. He's the first two times first pitch fastballs, but he's also not a huge first pitch commit guy. So uh, last time I threw him slider first. Um, but like if if it's a if it's not a guy that's a huge first pitch commit, you know, there's still that uh, that avenue to just keep throwing it over the plate. Whereas, you know, if you got a guy, if you got a guy like Brian who I'm pretty sure if Brian were to hit off me, Brian would be a pretty high first pitch commit, given off of what he said in the past. Right, Brian? That's what I did to you in live VP. That's all I know. So 
Brian is going to be a very high first pitch commit, and I haven't, you know, seen Brian play in a while. If Brian's a good decision maker, we'll go strike slider. If Brian's a bad decision maker, we're going to go something under the zone and hope that he swings over it or, you know, maybe hits a nine hopper to first, you know? Or does it's a different, right? You have, yeah. but you have more to draw from, right? You have, you know, your starters, you don't have, you know, I mean, look at like, so for Glass, last time back, Glass came back last night. Glass added a slider last year, and all of a sudden he wasn't a two pitch guy. And all of a sudden, batting average against on him is minuscule, right? Because now he has something that he can strike. You know, he can strike, you know, he's got three pitches he can now strike at any time. And that, you know, it just opens everything up for, you know, seeing people multiple times throughout a game. Dude, that's, that's such a big difference. I don't think people understand because that is the, for me, that's the biggest difference between the United States and here is there's no, there is no two pitch. I can't think of the top, top of my head. I cannot think of one guy here who's a two pitch guy. They're all like five pitch guys. And now the pure stuff is for the most part not as good but when you have five options every fucking pitch coming <laughs> it's like jesus you know like it, it makes that the 66 mile an hour ephus curveball makes the 92 mile an hour fastball look look and feel way harder than is there, you know the fastball slider in the united states yeah it, it's when you have you know you have cover 92 but you also have to cover 72 79 84 and 87 all of them going different ways uh, that's you know it's still a very effective way to pitch and you know i think that there's obviously that you can there's times where you know that, that might get victimized more than pure stuff but there's also times where i mean you've seen it time and time again that you mix four pitches four strikes and people have a very tough time putting together a good at bat. You might be, you might have a comfortable, but it's going to be a very comfortable over three. (laughs) There's nothing worse than there's definitely those guys in the United States too, where it's like, it's the Ryan Yarbrough effect. You're sitting in there. You're like, broken back on a 64 mile an hour curveball. And you're like, well, at the office, I'm walking back to the dugout for the third time, 0 for 3 off somebody. And I'm like, this guy's not even fucking good. What's going on? And there I am, 0 for 3 with absolutely nothing to show for it. Um, so there's uh, more than one way to get it done. Oh, my God. Gosh. <laughs> Those well, guys are – would rather have somebody just come in and uh, just absolutely abuse you in a batter's box? Or would you rather feel super comfortable and next thing you know you've hit an 86-mile-an-hour grounder to second? I would just whatever gets me a hit or gets me on base would be preferable, but they both happen. It, it is what it is, you know. It's just it it's definitely just the one big difference between this year and like the United States for me. That is a every pitcher who gets on the mound minus take away like yeah I don't know a handful of guys here. Uh huh. I'm not I'm not like I don't think they're that good. But they just throw – there's just so many options that it just makes it really fucking hard. You uh, so you, you mentioned Tyler Glass now being back just in time for October, made his first start last night. How big is that for the club and even just like the vibes in the clubhouse having him back around? Yeah, I, 
well, first off, Glass is uh, uh, just a giant child. It's lovely to have him back. We love Glass. Tyler Glass now is a one-of-a-kind specimen, both mentally and physically. Um, so it's anytime you can add him to anything, it's great. Um, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, started the clinching game of the 2020 DS, or sorry, Wild Card Series started. We did our little uh, one-time-through-the-order thing against the Yankees in 20, which he started, and then also pretty sure he got a win against Houston in the CS. Then obviously uh, had a little little hiccup in that World Series, but he's also started a game. Uh, I think he started game five in 19 against Houston. So, I mean, the postseason, the postseason experience is there. And, um, you know, I think there was a little bit of, in 19 at least, and I think when he hit a, not his best, um, and it was just a little tipping issue. Um, so, I mean, if you take out, you know, when people know what he's about to throw, he's, you know, incredible. Um, and his, yeah, and I mean, anytime you can add what he throws to a, I don't know if he's going to start. I don't know if he's going to come in and if somebody gets in trouble and just shred people for three, four innings and get to, you know, the back end, or if he'll be part of the back end, I think that, you know, any, any addition of Tyler Glass now is not a bad addition whatsoever. I mean, both of you guys both recovered from injuries this year. Yours not as obviously as long or as severe as his, like, can you just describe like from your perspective and like what, what all happened this year? Like what was your recovery process like and what kind of toll did that take on you kind of mentally and physically? Um, you know, it was, so we had, of guys that were in there pretty consistently around the same time. Um, at least in like it with our rehab schedule was glass me. Um, Shad Wah. Um, who else was in there? Bila was in there for a little bit. Yars was there for a little bit, but no, I just, to, it, it makes things easier, you know, collectively when you have people that you're going through it with. Um, and obviously, you know, what we were doing was different, but we ultimately kind of ended up along a similar, obviously this was a little further because TJ is a longer um, process, but to be on a similar path and to be going through similar things, um, you know, and having dealt with that before and able to relate to that, you know, we, uh, yeah, the, the morale was pretty good in that, in that time, in those mornings at the trot, just because, you know, I think that both Glass is very driven and to see him, you know, kind of go do everything that he needed to do to put himself in this situation um, was very fun to watch. I think we collectively between him, me, and some of the other guys there, we might have our, uh, our PT Wilson has gained quite a bit of gray hair. Um, and he's you know, like 28, 29, poor guy. Um, but yeah, it, the, it, to go through that and to have people there that are with you going through similar things is makes it very much a better experience. Like if that was me just showing up to the trop every day solo, like you, it sucks. I've done it. I've done the alone part. Um, granted, it was a little different because I was back in St. Louis. I had, you know, the support system. I'm working. I'm going to play pickup basketball all the time. A little different. 
Um, but like in, in Texas, when I rehab the TJ, you, you have that group and that group, if it's a good group, makes a shitty, you know, setback and in, in time where you're not feeling like you're able to help and you're kind of stuck makes that go by that much faster and becomes that much easier to do, at least from what I've experienced. You mentioned your Tommy John. You're a two-time Tommy John haverer. I don't think that's the right way to ask that. Um, were you were you nervous at the time for your second Tommy John? Um, no. Like I knew I was, I was nervous to see what the results of the MRI were. And then after I got that back, I was not nervous. I went into it with a very strict plan of what I wanted to do. And I told the rehab guys out there, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. You guys can either help or not help, but this is what I'm going to do. And I, our um, rehab pitching coordinator, Kami, was all on board with it. Sean Fields, who's uh, is a medical coordinator, I think, still with Texas, was all on board with it. And they, you know, having that blessing and going in with a plan for my guys back home that I that we kind of developed and and did everything we could to set up made it, you know, that much easier because it was that goal that you have 18 months from now, but to chase it down day after day and to know that that's where it's leading is. And, and to granted, I didn't know that this is where it was leading right when it happened. I just was assuming that health was, you know, I, I knew that health was at the end and I thought that if I changed everything, I'd be pretty good. And then, you know, as you get going and the ball's coming out of your hand and you're like, oh, that feels really good, it becomes that much easier to go chase it down day after day. Did you always have this kind of velocity that you have now? Um, I mean, physically, I think I would have, but I also kind of threw like a dipshit. Uh, so, and and to get it up, I, I throwing like a dipshit, I got up to, you know, six, seven maybe an eight every now and then in the month before I blew my elbow out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was there. I, I, I was for how I threw, I threw hard. I just threw like a dipshit. So I didn't, don't think I really had everything, you know, synced up enough to be, you know, kind of peaking where I am now in terms of velocity when I was still a starter and still throwing like an asshole. So what, what's that difference? How do you not throw like a dipshit anymore? Uh, what you're going to need to do, you're going to need to go to Tread Athletics, their Instagram page, people talking about Spencer Strider's arm action, and I'm in it. And there's a video of how I used to throw. You're going to watch that. Or super I already know what you're talking about. And it was terrible. Cross body, long limbs, no scapper track, yeah. weight, et cetera. And basically every mechanical red flag you can find goes somewhere in my delivery at that point. Um, yes. Yeah, so don't throw like that. Throw like you're playing a position. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're still a dipshit, but you're just a much better dipshit that throws the ball really hard now. I'm a dipshit. I might. <laughs> I don't throw well, like. I, you know what's funny is that I know exa- that video that you're talking about was like on my Twitter. Yeah. I don't know, like search or whatever, like one of the related topics. It was there, so I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, they were talking about the the shorter arm action, which I can 100% picture with you now that you say that. 
do you think that helps you? So you said it helps with your timing. So do you think things like that would help my arm from the outfield? Yes. Or is that strictly a pitch? Yeah. Uh, if that's it, not just a pitcher thing. You know what else will help your arm from the outfield? What's that? Toss, Brian. How frequently do you long toss? Oh, my God. Uh, I can't tell you the last time I long tossed. Right. What I want you to do when you get back for the off season, <laughs> I, I want you to take a focused effort on throwing the ball hard, far, and accurate. And if you want just a friendly couple tips, um, go look up Dave Coggin on Twitter or Instagram, uh, PFA Sports, and just kind of see. Actually, just go look up. Go see if you can find video of Mookie throwing from the outfield. And then just see how his arm kind of just goes bam and flips, and he's got a nozzle of an arm. Yeah, do that, and it'll probably help. All right. I'll do that for you this offseason. I would really appreciate. You know the arm, the arm in the it's just gravy. You know my average is fine. First but out, if you get that up. You're a hit first guy. It's all right. It, that's that's what it's about. Hit and we run a little bit, and then the arms just kind of help. Whatever. Or you could just get really good at picking it and come play first base for us. I'm always open to something like that. And first base, man. Hey. I love first base. First base is great. I do like the outfield more, though, because first base and third base, which I was doing a lot in Tampa, too, was uh, – but first base more, it's not fun when you're holding a runner on. Oh, and some – And there's just a donkey lefty out. Oh, yeah. It's not fun. J.A., you were very close I to have home my... plate when that is happening. <laughs> this is in high school. I about – I – I ended up being drafted decently high out of high school. And I mean, just a 110 off the bat, like right next to the head. I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, been times. hard for being right there. Guys hit the ball. You know, I like come off the bag and they just smoke a line drive. And it's like 13 feet off the ground. Playing hockey. And it goes over my. What's that? Playing, you're a hockey goalie at that yeah, point. Yeah. Dude, it goes over my head and down the right field line, and my first thought is, thank God that was not at my face. But, dude, you know, nothing was worse. Yeah, we were playing – we were at the Trop, like, before the season started, 2020, like, before the COVID season started, and we were doing uh, – we did an inner squad, but it was only a couple innings, and I was playing third base. And Cashy decided to do, uh, like, coach pitch – inner squad for a few innings to get like basically get defensive work in. So, I'm, so he's based cash. He's basically up there throwing BP to everybody and I'm playing third base. So on that team hitting back to back was, was Hunter Renfro and Yandy Diaz. And I'm playing third base while cash is just lobbing the BP and this live fake game. And I was like, backing up as far as I possibly go. I'm like, this is just not where I want to be right now. And Renfro, sure enough, smoked one right at me. Caught it, thank God. But, yeah, I love – it feels fun. I'll play it any day of the week. But, yeah, there's definitely time for I'm like, man, this is – things are happening quick. So much faster. <laughs> than the outfield, dude? Yeah, absolutely. It's unreal. 
People don't, that's what you see it all the time though. I don't know, Jay, you could probably tell too. Like people in general don't understand how fast things are happening or how fast balls are moving in the game. You see it when a ball gets hit into the crowd, like people just, they they don't really have, yeah, they don't really understand how fast things are. We, uh, I've told you a story about how I hit this, I dotted this dude. This is a 19. He had a, so we're Houston for playoffs. Have I told you this story? I don't know if I told no, you, but <laughs> staircase and minute made, right? Staircase and minute dudes at the top of it. We're shagging. I try and throw it up to a miss and he starts chirping me. I'm like, all right, palace. Next one's coming. So I get one, take a step, chuck, and got his arms up and about three-fourths of the way there, he realizes that this ball's going to get, it's going to square him up right in the chest. And dude just looks at it, takes a step back, hits him right in the middle of the chest. <laughs> I was like, pal, you asked for a ball. I threw it to you. Like, what do you, you know? I was just going to just, I, just, oh my God. I, there's no, these people have, I think, God for the nets that they put up because one people don't pay attention. No, not at all. They have no idea how hard some of these balls are hit. Maybe that guy was thinking that Zach Hample, the foul ball guy, would come out out of nowhere and take the ball before it hit him in the chest. So that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, he panicked and and instead of trying to catch the ball, like just stuck his arms out and like <laughs> use these. <laughs> So, Idiot. That's so funny. Use your hands, you know. If you don't have a glove, just go like old school football, get the get the fingers together and, and try and catch. <laughs> how um like when you're on the road or when there's like fans leaning over the bullpen, how like willing are you to, you know, interact with them or flip them balls or or do you mix it up with the with the fans out there? I'll talk to some. Usually I if I do it, I'll do it on my terms. I was been asking the people Cleveland for the radar. Because we decided to start, <laughs> we decided to start with a with a just a nice rain cell boring down on us. We had a rain delay in the third inning. That was tight. Uh, it just depends. Some of them. We had a kid in New York that was hilarious. This little kid, and you know the the dudes in New York in the bleachers. In the span of one game, we had this kid yell at us for like four innings. Tell us that. Uh, he'd switch to be a Rays fan if we threw him a ball to then yell at us and say that he's a Yankees fan for life after that. Um, saw somebody, Odd Karuger, get kicked out. Um, saw a dude try and throw a punch and accidentally hit the security guard. And then the same kid shows up like two innings later with a fake mustache on trying to change his voice to try to fall from us. <laughs> So we ended up giving him a ball. It was pretty funny. But yeah, if they're, you know, if they're out there MF on us, et cetera, et cetera, we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to, if you don't say please, if you're an incessant badger on us. Also, if you're an adult asking for a ball, there, I mean this with all of my heart, there's a 0% chance. <laughs> if you were a teenager, probably, you know, if there's a kid, I'll, I'll, I'll give them to kids. But when the kids are incessantly asking for things with no manners, it just makes me want to ask them what their parents are and tell them to go find them and 
down and watch the game. Did you guys see, uh, it went kind of viral. It was like, it was a video of Mike Trout turning down a couple kids for autographs, but it was like the, the adult had, had planted the kids there. Did you guys see that? That's bullshit. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Don't try and get people to sign at the hotel. Just don't do it. It's weird. We don't like it as a, as a whole. I can, from the biggest stars in the game to somebody who's has, you know, three days of service time and just got the first career hit. Don't go to the field. If you want to show up early to batting practice, try and get them along the side. You know, it, to be badgered at your hotel is something that, and I can't imagine what it's like for, for the big name guys, but like, come on. Like they don't want that. They want to be able to, to just be themselves and hang out and enjoy the time off the field without being run down by some dude that flips shit on eBay, planting his kids and then filming them. Like, come on. It's just, it's ridiculous. Brian, you feel the same way? Absolutely. It's, uh, I think players, you can tell or you know who is just like genuinely asking for an autograph or who these kind of collectors are who are just trying to, to sell stuff. Like I get, I would bet money that Trout had seen that guy before or whatever. Like, so he probably already knew. And yeah, the guy was probably trying to set it up, but I, I, yeah, it's, I've had, I've had people here outside my apartment. Like it's not the, I agree that the hotel, the apartment or like actual place of residence is for sure. A no. Yeah. But I, I also agree that uh, the hotel is along the same lines. I, I do. I think it's um, kind of a safe space field. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. I get it. Like here, hey, I'll have in- people, I'll have people wait for me at the train stations here. Like, and Jeff- know how we're, we're going. Like, go inside. Yeah. Pay the price of admission, you know? Get it, but like outside the parking lot, outside the hotel, etc. It's probably not going to work for you. They, uh, I feel bad here because they don't. They're not. I don't know if it's a COVID thing or if it's just in general, but they don't. They like we like on field can't interact with fans. Basically, it's like not allowed. So I sign for people at the, that for the most part that are waiting for me at the train station and stuff. Other than that, it's a different, it's it. different than in America. Pete, I was reading a story. Uh, it came out a couple of days ago about uh, intense Pete and your bullpen coach was saying that there's a, a switch that flips whenever, whenever the phone rings and you know, you, you just, you start locking it in. Like, has that always been the case and how are you able to get in the zone so quickly? Um, yeah, I've always, it's been more of how do I, like I said, I think in that article, how do I like tone it down? Because uh, I've always been like the switch will flip fast, and that's just kind of who I am. And it's it it's I've learned that you can't be locked in for nine innings at a time, especially in the bullpen. Um, it just doesn't work. It's not conducive to uh, mental health. Maybe I, it. To be locked in like that and all you're going to do, I think, if you're trying to stay super focused and super locked in, is just make yourself anxious, right? You're like, oh, there's going to be me 
the phone going to ring? Is this a spot? Well, who would be in this spot? Then who would be in that spot? Um, so yeah, I just, I know that I, it's almost like it's a cue at that point. The phone rings, Stan says, Pete Fairbanks, let's go, you know? And that's just how it is. And that's kind of how it has to be. I think, I don't think it has to, I think there's other ways to do it. Um, but for me, is to keep, you know, it is what it is. When I'm warming up, you know, obviously it's still, sorry, when you're like, you're just moving around, warming up bands, you know, fireballs, et cetera. You don't have to be as locked in. Obviously you're, you're preparing for that phone call. And then when you have that phone call, you know, that's when it's time to really start strapping it on. And it, it kind of helps to, you know, keep you in a better headspace for those other seven, eight innings. Um, than to be constantly locked in. You've also had a fair amount of save chances and opportunities this season. Um, I think more so than any other season in the past. Like it, we've heard guys in the past talk about how being a closer mentally is different than being any other position in the bullpen. Like how how have you seen? Like have you had to do anything differently to prepare yourself for a ninth inning situation as opposed to anything else? Um, no, I think kind of being in the spot where I am it kind of gives me more leeway as to when I want to get ready and how I want to go about preparing my body for it. But uh, I'm still the same guy off when I'm not warming up that I was throwing whatever inning it is. And I'm, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to get some of those chances and kind of settle in to be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I think that, I don't know if it's something that it's like the only thing that you've come up doing and it's the only thing that you've known, it might be a little different. Um, but you know, as a whole, our group has done a lot of stuff, right? Everybody down there has been in multiple situations this year. Um, and so yeah, it is what it is. I think that you know, we've kind of settled into what it's our our best, I don't know, best version, but our, our, we kind of streamlined it to where we know, Hey, kind of regardless of matchup now, these are, this is how we're going to do it. And it ends, you know, kind of with Jay and me. So yeah. And when it comes when it goes like that, it is, it is, does give you like a, a little bit more of a leeway to figure out how I want to go down the line and what I want to do to get loose and get ready. But mentality wise, I've, I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. I, have nothing but attacking the strike zone and that's it and that's where i'm keeping myself and it's probably where i'll keep myself for the rest of my career do you enjoy the thrill of closing games it's fun um but i for me i like to compete. i like to go out there and try and get the guy at home plate out um and if that lends itself to working best for the last three outs of the game it lends itself best to that but if it lends itself to, you know, coming in and, and getting out of a situation or seeing the heart of the order in the eighth or, you know, cleaning it up and getting us to those later innings, I, I, for me, the the one-on-one competitive aspect of it is, is kind of what I enjoy the most out of everything. So what's uh, – as we're winding down the season here to the, to the playoffs – what uh? What do you think are, are the keys to the Rays going on a nice run? Um, Brian, let me tell you. 
I think I don't know the exact stats, but somebody said on the games that we score more than three runs, our, our record is incredible. Um, and so I, you know, I think that if we can, you know, play more of a complete game all around, because you know we'll have days where the offense is there, but the pitching's not, or we'll have days where the pitching's there, where the offense is not, or we'll have both of the other two. But won't be good, won't be as good um, in the field. I think if we, as a whole, play not even the best version of all of them, but if we play a good version of each of the three aspects of the game, I think we'll be okay. If we can get to that three, four, five run mark, you know, starters turn it over, you know, to us down there, and and hopefully we can go out and do our thing. I think is all we can ask for. Um, I think there's the games that you see where we can get a lead and, and turn it over, I think are, are the ones that's kind of our, been our formula for success. Shit. The past four years now, get a lead and give it to the guys to try and hold it. Um, that's kind of been our, our MO. And I think that that's, if we keep doing that, I think that's our, our, our recipe and it has been and it'll probably continue to be which i mean that's everybody's recipe right there's no one's like damn we should down in the sixth because we are great <laughs> no everybody wants to lead turn it dogs and you know go after it all right uh so you've your taste in music is impeccable we've talked about it last time you've gotten me hooked on angels and airwaves uh i'm curious what other songs are you like have you been listening to a lot lately okay Let's see. Um, the Boy in the Black Dress by Youngblood. Incredibly. It is incredibly catchy. It's fantastic. Um, the new, each of the new five singles, for different reasons, has just been like stuck in my head at random times. Uh, I'm going to have to pause so I can go look at my Spotify. Hold on. Oh, never mind. You guys, you guys are in the, small, the little small box now. Let's see. Small box. Um, Isaac, my son, is really in. He's been asking for the Big Hero 6 song, which is Immortals by Fallout Boy. <laughs> um, when we were we were in the midst of a, our little losing streak, I was trying to change the vibe, so we were I was playing the rubber band man a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, been listening to some Fallout Boy, The Midnight. Um, what else? Obviously, I, I still can't say no to blink there's actually a uh they did like a slow piano version of young london um that is excellent i highly recommend it yeah pretty much all all my my normal stuff but those have those have been the new stuff that's come out that i've been into or old stuff that's uh made its way back into my collective consciousness we went through it. We had a couple of chili pepper days in the weight room, but yeah, I'm. Like all those, that's been what I've been vibing to. A lot more Fall Out Boy recently than normal. <laughs> is your walkout song still uh, Secret Crowds? Sure is. They finally played it for a whole half inning. It was incredible. First time <laughs> all year. I don't know if everybody else quite likes Angels and Airwaves as much as I do, but if they like that, I mean, it's a great song either way. It's a good stadium song, I feel like. Yeah, it's not like you're playing Creed or anything. Although, no dis- no disrespect to Creed. I feel like that's a less popular I mean, choice. Creed would probably fill up a stadium, but let's not. 
<laughs> Mint. Maybe. You know, those those buckle jeans and maybe a too tight t-shirt, you know? <laughs> uh, so Josh Fleming obviously was on last week and he told a story of when you guys first met and how you said that he wasn't really from St. Louis. Did, did you remember that interaction? <laughs> and how much pride do you take in being an actual St. Louis guy? I take a lot of um yeah i do remember that so uh this was in 19 at durham and we have the same agent right so he texts me and says hey you got another guy coming up josh fleming he's he says he's from st louis he's actually from oh i was like oh perfect so i tried to go as long as i was trying to go until there was another new guy there before i talked to him and then we had up like the same day or the next day. So I was like, oh, you're a kid that's claims to be from St. Louis, et cetera, et cetera. Just talking shit to him. And then in fairness, I've never stopped talking shit to him. Um, <laughs> it's kind of just, just been a perpetual cycle. But no, I love Flem. He's, uh, he made it to the right side over in Missouri, but he lives in fucking Arnold now, which is in St. Louis County. So still not quite there. <laughs> Closer, but yeah, not not still St. Louis. <laughs> um, Dude, when, how, he, when he yeah. told us that story, I was dying. I could picture that happening so perfectly. Sorry. And you know how Flem, I still have the ability to just get Flem where he's just like mildly <laughs> and annoyed with me. Yeah. So yeah. So now imagine. How bad did you feel when you cursed during your post game interview? Not bad. I just knock out. I, I don't. If people want to be upset with the words, let them. I personally am not one that is upset by those. Um, Just, I don't know. Being in the life that I've led from sports, basically, it's just, it's so ingrained in the vernacular of groups of men that it just, like, it just is what it is, you know? I don't even think, it just, like, it just slips out like it does like that because you don't think anything of it because I'm not really worried about offending my grandmother in the locker room or, you know, all my boys. But the only people that really that really get in person are my mother and grandmother. <laughs> it was it was my favorite clip of all time. Uh, oh, I just cursed. Um, <laughs> it's so genuine. It was. It was, it was so pure. I could, I could feel it. I was like, wow. <laughs> Love that. Um, last question for me. Um, so we asked Josh Fleming about Max Scherzer and, you know, being a fellow Missouri Tiger, like, have you met Max Scherzer, interacted with him at all? And like, is he kind of like your role model for intenseness? Um, I have not met Scherzer. We went to watch, I think he threw in Kansas city one time when I was still in school. So with the team drove out, um, but we, I, I'd like to do, I, our paths really haven't crossed and I don't feel I think he might have been on the IL when we – no, he threw uh, – we had a two-game set in Washington. I think he threw against us. But, no, I haven't yet. I would love to. He's one of the few guys if we – I think we play everybody next year, so I'm going to try and probably get a, a Scherzer-Mets jersey. Um, I don't know. He's He was always kind of the standard that was set up for everybody at Mizzou. Um, so I'm sure that there's, there's parts of that DNA that just by nature of – you know, him as the number one product of Missouri. 
um, that I'm sure I've, I've picked up on it, it, you know, just kind of take it hold. But yeah, I definitely walk around the mound after punching tickets because we all watched him do it in college. So that's, uh, that's definitely a Scherzer um, influenced thing, but yeah, he's, I love watching him throw. Peter. Yes, thank Brian. you so much for, for coming back on and being our first recurring guest. It was really a pleasure. appreciate it. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Son